Washington football team is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, somewhere with Sam Monson back in the studio talking all things NFL. Sam, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. We got technical problems this morning, so I'm sitting here with a headset in the fancy becushioned uh, studio, which is developing more and more. Um, I don't know what you call those, like decorations, accoutrements, you know, nice touches. Yeah, so that's great. It's, uh, really? I'll be back with you soon, and Sweet. I'll be bringing the gear. Wait. Yeah, bringing the uniform for you to uh, to uh, to wear. Excellent. Uh, nice, nice job with uh, with Seth. Get into some X's and O's on the last episode. Yeah, I mean, I was particularly proud of the the ad reads uh, because you know when you disappear, it, it, it's only when you leave that I realize those things exist and that you know it's it's not that easy right i just sort of switch off and let you roll and occasionally mock you for your transition into them but it's like a pain in the ass and it's only when i have to do it and open the document and you know read these things that you're like yeah that's 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 actually a thing so you know there are sponsors sam you're supposed to i did enjoy i did i did a good job of it i i mean two of the transitions i think were smooth one of them one of them, there was no way in. I just had to roll. Uh, and somebody emailed and was, uh, let's see, what's this guy's name? Uh, Jean-Paul Vailleux, Vailleux, uh emailed Perfect. in and said, you know, great transitions, uh, tight pacing was good, but I forgot the promo for the Bobby Wagner interview that isn't going to happen, or at least didn't happen in that show um, and yeah, never if, happened. If you stay tuned today, maybe Bobby Wagner is going to show up at the end of the show. You never know yeah, if Bobby, Bobby Wagner is going to show up. I do know what's going to show up though. It's our it's our forty percent off sale, which yeah, is here. Save go. forty. I'm back, baby. Save forty. Forty percent off any PFF subscription. We got the fantasy football draft guide out there right now, the college football preview magazine, and the first edition of the 2022 NFL draft guide. It's all there, and you get forty percent off if you are a first time subscriber using the promo code Save Forty. Yeah. Most importantly, I think you can get all access, all of the access. Uh, to all of our fantasy tools for $5.99. That's it. Um, I don't need them because I already use them mm. to dominate my league. I don't need them anymore. I've already I already drafted extremely well a couple of years ago in the old uh, Dynasty League, Sam, okay. uh, that we dominate every year. But everybody needs them. That's how I win. So save 40, 40% off any PFF subscription. This uh, uh, this also feels a lot like, by the way, being on TV. There's There's three separate screens that I could be looking at here. And the one place I'm actually supposed to look has no screen. Uh, so it's nice. You know, I'm just wanting you to know the kind of technical challenges not, I'm dealing with here without you here. If you're not making eye contact with me, I understand. I know it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a part of the game. I know you really we're looking at each other. Uh, so because uh, we're wrapping up July, it's almost training camp battle season. That's something we'll be covering very soon. We'll be previewing every single team for the 2021 NFL season. That's going to be coming up soon. But today, 
we decided we're going to play the what if game. I, I think people have have heard us say a lot of the same stuff over the last few months, and it's tough to try to to, to try to break it up. You know, sometimes you know your takes don't change between January and September. But right now, we'll play the what if game for the 2021 NFL season. Maybe you know, what if some things that we don't necessarily expect to happen? What if they do happen? How will that change the course? of the nfl how's that sound sounds good it sounds good because we agreed upon it before yeah. the show yeah yeah so we will it sounds good because that's the, pa- the with... plan for the podcast today <laughs> it would sound so know, let's worse do that if it wasn't let's play let's play the what if game so you come up we'll go back and forth you come up with a scenario <laughs> that might be a little bit unlikely and we'll and we'll talk through it all right can i, I so just before we get to the ones that we're actually going to talk about i have Two more, I think, that I want to throw in there. One, because there's a video that just keeps popping up on my feed today, which is another absurd Jameis Winston workout video where he's running around throwing a towel with a dog chasing him. Like, Mm. what if Jameis Winston didn't have all of these ridiculous workout videos? Like, how much do you think your opinion and your take on Jameis Winston is being uh, skewed by the ridiculous videos that keep getting posted about the way he prepares to be a quarterback. Because is, every single my, one of my, them my has made me think less of it. <laughs> oh, so this is making it worse for you? Yes. Every single workout video of Jameis Winston somehow preparing to be a quarterback makes me think less about his capacity to be an NFL quarterback. Every single one of them. <sighs> so it's having the opposite effect on you. But yeah. I, look... I haven't seen any of. I, I saw one of them. I'm trying to uh, trying to clear the brain of that nonsense, so you don't get swayed either positively or negatively. So I have a neutral response to Jameis Winston workout videos. He's going to be the same. He's he's volatile even in workouts, right? He's making you go the other way. He's yeah. probably encouraging other people, saying, "Oh, look at this dude throwing lasers." I saw Pat McAfee actually talk about him throwing lasers. Said he's ready to go. Yeah, so yeah. LASIK is ready. And then, so my other what if is: what if Tom Brady was human, and you know, a torn MCL would actually put him out for a season? Unlike, <laughs> I mean, everything we've talked about Tom Brady last year. You know, most insane first year in a Bruce Arian system ever. Takes a ragtag team to the Super Bowl that was what nine and seven the year before wins the Super Bowl in his first time of asking somewhere else, did all of it on a torn MCL. Like, completely torn. Not just, like, A, partially torn, or B, as it was first reported, you know, tore it sometime before the Super Bowl. No, the whole year he was playing on a torn MCL and looked as good as ever at 43 years old. What the hell are we dealing with at this point? That's crazy, actually. Nobody really noticed, you know, the entire year. Right. Um, well, he wasn't and, on the injury report. So it obviously was manageable enough that it, you know, it, that it wasn't really noticeable. It's not like he was limping the whole season or anything like that. So I think it does speak to his recovery method and all that stuff. I think the other thing is, though. You're saying this is an endorsement for TB12? It's his endorsement. <laughs> I think so. I think it is. It's like ne- next year it'll be, oh, I played on a torn ACL. Yeah, which so, is, well, well, which is made that almost point. impossible. I, I can't remember who tweeted this, but somebody made the point that do you remember back in 08 when was it Pollard took his knee out in that yeah. in week one or whatever it was? And that was that's Brady done for the year, right? And that was yep. the Matt Castle season and blah, blah, blah. Somebody made the point that Brady wanted to play on that year and was claiming that like he practiced that week and was claiming that like, hey, I can I can get through this with no ACL, right? I can keep going. 
And the Patriots basically went, no, dude, sit down. You're done. Like, <laughs> for your own safety, we are shutting you down. But that's not entirely without precedent, right? Phillip Rivers played in a, was in an AFC championship game on a torn ACL. Like, yeah. it's been done. And Brady was prepared to do it for the entire season in 08. Apparent, I mean, that was an ACL. But, yeah, here we go, a torn MCL last year. And it, it didn't affect him to the point where, A, you didn't know, and B, they never had to put it on the injury report because you only have to put stuff on the injury report if, A, it keeps you out of practice, or B, right. it has, like, there's some kind of term, like a material negative effect on, or a likely negative effect on a guy's play. And they determined that clearly it didn't. Yeah, and they were right. I mean, Brady was yeah. our second highest graded quarterback. They go to the Super Bowl and win it and the whole deal. Um, it still will not keep people from the f- the first overthrow this year. The the the, the keyboards are going to be hot, Sam. With he's he's lost it. He's too old. The first time he overthrows or underthrows a receiver, right? It, th- those articles like, are still going to come out. This is what's freaky is that like the thing that I've been saying for a while now is that the thing that's going to get Brady is the Favre thing, where eventually, because you're forty something years old, stuff just starts to break on your body that didn't when you were in your twenties. And eventually those just put you down, right? This was the thing that's supposed to put Brady down and he kept on trucking and was like an MVP for the season. Like nothing's going to put him out. If you can't, if you tear his MCL and he just gets up like the Terminator and goes out there and uh, puts up like a league leading big time throw rate and wins the Super Bowl, like what the hell are you supposed to do? Yeah. This is like, this is Arnie putting 12 gauge shotgun rounds through the guy's head and it just like you know reseals around the bullet hole and wins another super bowl brady is the t1000 is what i'm saying here t1000 was that the liquid metal guy from the terminator that's brady that's what he is that's what we're realizing it's 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 unbelievable so we'll see if he can uh, stay healthy once again uh you got to go upstairs buddy okay grab your stuff go upstairs oh this is full on uh this is full the kids COVID broke lockdown in. COVID lockdown uh, video. Kid, we got the kids breaking in. Kids broke into the uh, to the parents' basement. So let's get into this what if game. Um, so right, I'll let you, ones. yeah, the real ones. Uh, I'll let you go first. Give me a what if that we don't think is going to happen, and we'll talk through you know the uh, the ramifications. What if Jordan Love is actually good? Uh, because this Aaron Rodgers thing. I still maintain that I, I don't think Rodgers is going back to the Packers. I, I think it's too hard to piece together um, given the problems, given his situation, et cetera, et cetera. So that probably leaves us with this Jordan Love-led Green Bay Packers that nobody thinks are going to have any shot of doing anything, that they're going to be you know, way behind, behind the chasing pack, so to speak. Um, they're they're going to be out of division title. They're going to be out of uh, Super Bowl contention because Jordan Love is now the quarterback. But what if Jordan Love's good? You know? Like this I was is surprised what where would your surprised meter be? I would be surprised, but Jordan Love is of the same ilk of that run of toolsy quarterbacks that have worked out pretty well over that's, recent years. Now, that's look, what I was going to say. On on paper it shouldn't work. Right. But on paper Josh Allen and maybe Herbert, you know, some other guys maybe shouldn't have either. Right, and I think, look, the jury is still out on whether that is a causative thing or if this is just the way the league has run over the last few years, right? Like, 
you know, you can you can tie Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones to an extent, um, you know, Deshaun Watson. You can tie a bunch of these guys together with a very broad stroke um, brush and say these are all toolsy quarterbacks that happen to have, you know, kind of worked out to some degree or massively worked out in other degrees. And you can say, well, that means the toolsy quarterbacks are inherently um, a better bet right now than maybe they used to be. Uh, or you can just say, look, these are five, six different players who all have varying different skill sets of which one happens to be physical tools to play the position. It's not like it's going after toolsy quarterbacks is not the thing that's going to get you success. But if you're of the opinion that, hey, look, all these guys with tools have worked out quite well relative to their to where we thought they could be, Jordan Love ticks that box, right? He's big. He's pretty athletic. He's got a hell of an arm. Um, and, you know, he's got some of the Josh Allen stuff about him in terms of lower level of competition, was better the year before his final right. year in college when he had a bit better of a supporting cast. Like, the parallels between Josh Allen and Jordan Love are quite strong, I would say. Yeah, the one the one thing that gives me pause about Jordan Love is, I think, last season. Just, you know, last season not hearing any buzz about him, having not having him active for the Packers. It, it, to me, if we didn't have that, I don't think I'd be all that surprised. And I, and I think uh, surprised if he was successful. Now I'm, I'm a, you know, a little bit more hesitant. Like, when Mahomes was out for the season – you heard some of those rumblings. Hey, hey, this dude on the scout team is going to be good. And, you know, maybe there's it's time for him to take over for Alex Smith, even though Alex Smith is but having a great season. Do you not, yeah. Don't you think that's kind of different, though? Because, like, the difference in stature between the starter, right? Aaron Rodgers versus Alex Smith. The second Mahomes was drafted, it was like, oh, Alex Smith is on borrowed time. You know, it's just the clock is ticking, essentially, this year to when he's going to take a seat and Mahomes is going to take right. over. Yeah. When even when the Packers drafted Jordan Love, it was like, oh, so at some point Aaron Rodgers is disappearing, but like nobody expected it to happen during the season, right? Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, and certainly not when Rodgers started to play like an MVP level. At that point, it's just like, well, Jordan Love is sometime down the line. And, and because like maybe the fact that he wasn't the number two is is the thing that would say, all right, that's a red flag. On the other hand, if they determined early that, hey, He's the quarterback of the future. He'll be the number three, um, and then we'll sort of develop him from the sideline year one. Like, he's never he's never even going to get the reps to prove different. You know what I mean? He's just right. not going to get given the opportunity to win a different spot on the depth chart. He is just the number three for the year, And at which point I, I'm not that – I don't think it means anything necessarily that we didn't hear a whole lot about him year one. Yeah, I mean, it, the other, so then from an on-field standpoint, the thing that I would be excited about, for the, you know, if, if the Packers have to play him, he does have that really good arm. He does have really good touch as well. Um, and, you know, I think part of the stuff that got Love into trouble in college was partly his aggressiveness. He didn't see a whole lot of throws that he didn't like. Um, and, of course, that goes both ways. You know, be with Jameis and... Uh, you know, enjoying that part of Jameis's game because you get some of that volatility, you get some of that high-end play. Uh, but how much of that was Jordan Love in his last season at Utah State? New system, a little bit lesser supporting cast. Um, so he he does have a lot of those, hey, I'm just trying to chuck it through a linebacker a little bit too often, but that also leads to some of those spectacular throws as well, some of those out-of-the-pocket plays. So it's not, look, 
I, I don't think the odds are are strong that Jordan Love is instantly, you know, the next, forget even just calling him Hall of Famer, uh, but the next great starting quarterback for the Packers. It's just general odds are, are going to be low for that, going from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to like, oh, Jordan Love's here for the next 15 years. Hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's good. Um, I still are... think, you know, there's a lot more to see, though, from him, obviously. Oh, of course. I mean, there are some things to like. Like that, that, that not the last year, the second last year, which I will – for, for our purposes, that's the one to focus on, right? Because last season, a bunch of change uh, in college. I don't think that was a fair reflection of who he can be. And certainly for the purposes of like, what if he's good? It, you almost have to throw that season out completely. So the year, his best season in college, his PFF grade when kept clean, which as we know is like the most stable predictive part of quarterback play, was 90.4 with a big-time throw rate of 5%. That year, he was also phenomenal on the deep ball, which is you know what you want and need to see for a guy to be really good at the NFL level is, is that threat of a deep pass. Um, and then the other thing, as much as it might be concerning that Green Bay stuffed him as the number three quarterback on the depth chart and basically didn't mention his name during his rookie season, the fact that they did what they did to acquire him in the first place means that they loved him at the time not just because they traded up and drafted him in the first round but because they did that at a time when it made no sense in terms of like the the timeline to move on from Aaron Rodgers they were at least a year too early to make that move in order for any kind of smooth transition away from Rodgers which is why this whole situation exists in the first place right because Rodgers contract is was such that this made no sense to happen this offseason. So the Packers essentially said, all right, Rodgers looks like he might be declining. We need to start thinking about his succession plan. And then they love Jordan Love so much that they bumped everything up a year and traded up in the draft to make that happen. I'm, so, uh, I was going to say, I'm softening in my old age because the more, you know, the, the analytics folks and, and what they do for us uh, it's not as simple when you're projecting stuff going forward. It's not always as simple as just taking the PFF grades and and projecting it forward and saying that's it. They do take that is a date. What you just described as a data point. How much other people love a player is a data point that does have value, whether I like it or not. I traditionally I don't like it. You know, don't overdraft <laughs> this player that I don't like, right? But it, it's a data point, right? It, it is. It is something that says enough people believe this guy was a first rounder. I thought he was a second rounder, but or, or a third rounder, but enough people thought he was a first rounder, which should elevate his status in your mind just a little bit. Like technically, from a data standpoint, it should. Even though traditionally we say, well, Alex Leatherwood, we said he was a second rounder. You drafted him in the first. That's a reach. That's a that's a miss. So I guess it's more posing the question: How much do you yes. put? How much? I thought Tim T. Like Tim Tebow was a first round quarterback. Because the Denver Broncos picked him in the first round. But I at, even at the time, 11 years ago, I was thinking, man, he's not a first-round quarterback. That's just one team that believes it. How much do you stock do you put into that data point, so to speak, that somebody believed he was a first-rounder? And to your point, at this time, when I don't have to draft him, I have to get Jordan Love. I got to have that guy. Like That's a pretty strong vote of confidence in his ability it is it's a massively strong so what it does yeah it, it is a huge endorsement from green bay in their level of confidence and their love in that guy right so the very minimum <clears throat> the very minimum we know that the packers love this dude pun intended um when they drafted him now 
should that have any bearing on what you think? Maybe not. But I think what it should do definitely is ask that question, which is, are you 100% sure? Because these guys over here think something way different to what you do. Um, so I, I would I would treat that, you know, like a weird um, like a weird number at the combine or, you know, one of these strange data points that pops up and looks like an anomaly compared with everything else you see on a player and just make it raises itself as like a check. It's like, are you, you know, a guy runs a four, two and you thought he was a four, 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 five guy. Now, does that mean you toss out all your analysis and everything changes and he's a different player in your eyes? No, but you should probably go and check, right? Like if a guy pops up three tenths of a second faster than you thought he was, that should send you back to your, to the tape, back to your analysis and ask, are you hundred percent certain on everything you, you decided about this dude? So with Jordan Love, the fact that the Packers did that, I think, should make you go and like recheck where you are on this guy. So when we're, you know, projecting this idea of what if he's good, that's a relevant thing. And you know, you can create a case but b- between the Packers uh, endorsement of him, between that penultimate season, between the big time throws, between the physical tools. Like you put all this together and you can make an argument that Jordan Love is not like the punchline of a joke, which is the way he's being portrayed right now. There is actually a chance that a year on the sideline and this dude steps in and actually looks pretty good. Before we get into my big what if, got to give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax's NFL Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. And PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They have multi-team trades, which I know you love, Sam. Player salary and contract options, bonus points for touchdowns for different yardage, projected player rankings based on your league's custom scoring, and you can auto-generate player salaries for your league. Whichever league you're in, you can customize it exactly the way you want. If you're coming from another site, that's no problem either. Fantrax can import any of your current league sign up and play now at fantrax.com slash pff and actually get a chance to win an autographed jersey from our favorite player sam josh allen Mm. that's right you could sign up and get an autographed jersey from our favorite player it's josh allen the uh the bills josh allen i assume they didn't specify but i'm assuming it's not the jaguars (laughs) josh allen this is fantrax.com slash pff home of fantasy sports i gotta get that jersey that's what i want to wear for our Right, that would be perfect. Next you game. be already here. So, yeah, I use Fantrax in the old uh, in the old Dynasty League, as you would call it. It's a Dynasty, dynasty for league, uh, the rest of us here. So let me let me give my big what if though. That was a good explanation of Jordan Love. And we it, did we just talk ourselves into you know he's top fifteen quarterback this year? No, Aaron's I mean I be don't out think it'll happen. I just think you can make that case. <laughs> All right, here's my first big what if. What if the Patriots just aren't good this year? What if? The New England Patriots, after all the moves that they made, what if they're not good? And by that, me, I say another a 500 or worse season. Uh-huh. What if that happens? Does that uh, how d- does that bring up the Brady Belichick stuff again? Yes. Does that make you think, hey, Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, is just not going to be around much longer for all the investment that they made? And here's the point I kept making all offseason: <clears throat> the investment they made should benefit them benefit them here in 2021 all of the additions they should be a better team this year but what if they're not and then they're sitting here with all these guys on the cap in 2022 it's still a cam newton mac jones we don't know who this starting quarterback is if they're not good this year what happens can i answer your question with a question Um, yes 
what would need to happen for Bill Belichick, for the credit in the bank that Bill Belichick has built up over the last 20 years to disappear to the point where you start thinking about, well, we need a new head coach. You would, you would not necessarily need... this year, but like generally, right? Like we're already starting to go with this Brady Belichick thing. Brady's winning. So yeah. if the whole thing falls apart this year and the Patriots go like four and 15, no, four and 13, I'm running at it like four <laughs> right. and 13. Um, what happens, right? Like how much, how much credit in the bank does he have? Okay. So four, it would take a lot of that stuff. It would take. Brady comes into New England. I think it's week four, <laughs> right? Brady comes into New England and drops like 40 on them, right? Uh, it embarrasses the Patriots. It would take, you know, Mac Jones to maybe play some football and look overwhelmed or Cam Newton when he plays looks about the same as last year or worse, whatever it is, right? And if they won four games, yeah, those conversations are absolutely starting. In addition to, yeah, because look, as much as I don't think that the Brady Belichick thing, like, we're not going to determine what happened the previous 20 years by what happens in 2020 and 2021. But if Brady does go on another run, and even if they just go to the NFC championship or go to another Super Bowl or whatever it is, it's like two years of evidence with Brady without Belichick mm-hmm. on both ends of the spectrum. And if they just keep pushing away from each other, Brady's teams keep yeah. getting better and Belichick's teams get keep getting worse, that conversation will absolutely Start Now, I, I don't believe this is going to happen. I do believe the Patriots are just solid across the board and they'll be better this year. And if Cam Newton is the starter, I think he'll play better in year two in that system. Or if Mac Jones plays, I think he'll be able to, you know, uh, spread the ball around and be, a, a, you know, a solid starter. I think they'll get much better quarterback play than they did last year. I think they'll be okay. But if they're not, this organization is in huge trouble because they haven't drafted well. They just spent half a billion dollars in free agency. And if that doesn't work, they're starting from scratch once again. It, it would be fascinating to me just like how fast that level of credit in the bank can be eroded. You know, like yeah. there's there's probably there's been what, two or three head coaches in NFL history, which is a century now that have had the kind of job security and, you know, resume that Bill Belichick has had. And to, to to sort of like just how quickly that can all disappear and you go, yeah, I mean, you've done great things for us and you created this let dynasty. Me, On the other hand, I'm going to have to kick you out of the building because you haven't won in the last year and a half. Let me ask you this. I'm, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a wrestling analogy, Sam. See if you can okay. follow here. Does so the the most important decision Bill Belichick has ever made was was starting Tom Brady at quarterback, right? It's the most important decision in NFL history, and he deserves credit for that decision right that that is the thing i if drew bledsoe if he kept drew bledsoe as the quarterback do you think they have the same success no for the next few years i I just i don't think they do so he deserves credit for that but if it is it too short-sighted to only give him credit for that one decision and say that led to all the success of course belichick's a good defensive coach and he gets the most out of his players and they've done a good job with the middle class players and stuff but that doesn't mean as much if you don't have Tom Brady at quarterback. And the wrestling analogy I'll make is uh, the old NWO, right? WCW. Eric Bischoff is still the only known. He was you know, the guy who ran WCW and he created the NWO. And it was like the most important moment in wrestling history. And it made both wrestling organizations better. And, it, and they hit their peak and all this stuff. But because Eric Bischoff made that decision... 
which was a great one and the most important one maybe in wrestling history. He, he created the storyline, but it didn't make him better going forward. It didn't mean that he was always the greatest storyline creator. It didn't mean that he was always going to make good decisions going forward. Is it fair or unfair to maybe apply that to Belichick? Just because he had this one thing that led to 20 years of greatness, it's still just it's still a small sample size decision. And you, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to find the next Brady. It doesn't mean he's going to have the next dynasty. So therefore... He shouldn't have as much, you know, cachet when you look back. It's just, hey, he did a great job. It was for 20 years, but we can't expect that going forward. Well, I think what it does is highlight how small the um, how small the capacity is to move the needle of like anything else if you don't have the quarterback. And by right. the quarterback, I mean a guy that's going to play top 10, top five in any given season. Like Belichick making that move to go to Tom Brady meant that the next 15 years of his decisions, all he had to do was to land somewhere in the margins and they were going to be a contender. And if he was somewhere above the margin, they were winning championships. And if they weren't, he, he wasn't, right? So now if you don't have that quarterback, what you're saying is, well, all he's doing is playing around with the margin for error. He's not like nothing he does is moving the needle in terms of them actually contending so until they can find that next guy, like he, all he's doing is, you know, like musical chairs. None of it matters until that final piece falls into place and you get the quarterback that can make everything whole again. So it's, it's kind of, it's an interesting almost like referendum on the power of everything else outside of the quarterback because Belichick could be doing a lot right or he could be doing a lot wrong and almost nothing will make any kind of difference unless either Cam Newton you know, rediscovers 2015 Cam Newton or Mac Jones is the guy that, you know, some people thought he was. And uh, I already know what your next what if is. So it's a it's a smooth transition because I was going to say the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, Brett Veach, they made they made the same decision there, right? They made the same, you know, NFL history altering decision, which was to they had a good starting quarterback and they traded up for Patrick Mahomes. And theoretically, this immediately puts them into Patriots like territory where they're they, they're in pen in that divisional round every single year they're in pencil in that AFC championship yeah and uh their they their margin of error is great so that comes to your what if which I which I see and uh let's let's discuss because I don't even know if it if it matters yeah what if this offensive line overhaul that they've just undertaken over the the offseason what if it goes to hell um you know they they did a lot what they've done is similar to what the Jets did a year ago, which is throw an awful lot of bodies at the offensive line. Now they've done it in a different way in that they, you know, pivoted away from the draft a little bit. They invested heavily in more sure things, quote unquote, in terms of trading for Orlando Brown, in terms of throwing a truckload of money at Joe Tooney. So they've, they've taken shots at what they believe to be more sure things than, you know, drafting guys or drafting guys in the first round. Anyway, um, but the problem is still like if you're just throwing a large number of bodies at the offensive line, the chances of all of them paying off at the same time, they're just not high. Like there is something to offensive line cohesion. Um, Eric Eager from the, the PFF forecast said that I think it was something like it's a tenth of a point in the spread for week one. Um for every offensive lineman that you don't return from the previous season, right? So just changing a body 
dings you a tenth of a percent uh, point against the spread. Like just that's the sort of power of offensive line cohesion is simply changing the guy is having a negative effect on your point spread. And the Chiefs are basically doing that like with all five and then hoping that they pan out. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I mentioned before, I don't know that it matters a ton. Because because of the, the the baseline that they've built with Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey, I mean, I, I think one injury to one of those playmakers is far worse than maybe the offensive line not working. I, I, if the overhaul doesn't work, I don't think we're going to see what we saw in the Super Bowl, where you have Mike Remmers, an average right tackle, moving to the left side, and then below average starters everywhere else. So I don't think we're going to see what we saw in the Super Bowl. If the overhaul doesn't work, I still think that the Chiefs land around average as an offensive line because, yeah, it's not real. I wouldn't compare it to the Jets who put a ton of resources into it last year because the Jets grabbed a whole bunch of players who were good for like one year and they were hoping to build upon a lot of one-year wonders and guys who hadn't really played well in their previ- previously in their career, like George Fant coming over from Seattle. The Chiefs did get some established players like Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney and took a shot on Kyle Long and they got the doctor coming back. And uh, so it, Austin Blythe at center, right? They have players who have played well before, whereas the Jets really eh, were, were pushing it a little bit. So I think they're good. I think they're going to be okay, but we're playing the what if game. So if the overhaul doesn't work, what does that look like in this scenario? Where do they rank? How bad are they from a pass blocking standpoint? And if you give me a baseline, I'll tell you what, uh, what will happen. What if? Well, I would say there's definitely a scenario where this Chiefs offensive line is a below average unit. I mean, Mike Remmers has had extensive periods in his NFL career where he was bad, not just average, but, you know, a problem. So if Mike Remmers goes and is a problem at right tackle, if Orlando Brown moved to the left side and no longer cloistered by the uh, beneficial effects of the Lamar Jackson Baltimore offense suddenly starts to struggle and his weaknesses become an issue. If Joe Tooney catches the down slope or the down uh, end of the spectrum of what he's capable of, and if you know maybe they start Creed Humphrey right away and he struggles badly as a rookie, right guard could be anything. So I would say there's like there's a scenario where they have four below average players and Joe Tooney playing as at an above average level at left guard, which is like the least consequential position along the offensive line to have your one strong link. So let's say that this offensive line ranks 20th in the NFL and has particular problems with pass protection. If that happens, uh, yeah, I think the Chiefs will still be great. I think it'll come back to bite in the playoffs. So, yes, if this does happen, it will matter um, if they are that bad. I don't expect – I guess that's why we're playing this game, right? We don't expect these things to happen So at that point, they become like the Texans from from two years ago, not last year's Texans, the one where – you know, Deshaun no. Watson did heroics, ran up against the Chiefs, and they blew a 24-point lead or whatever it was. I mean, you still I, – I would pull out, say, like the 2011 Giants, the famous Eli Manning season that we that we always talk about, where Eli overcame pressure and he had a good group of playmakers to throw to, and they still ended up winning the Super Bowl, which is rare. Like, you don't have a lot of teams with a bad offensive line do that, um, actually overcome it. Um, the 2015 Patriots – Actually, uh, in the middle, this is Dante Scarnecchia had had just retired, and their offensive line just fell apart in 2015, and, and, and it, it affected Brady in the AFC Championship against the Broncos. That was the year the Broncos no fly zone, and they and they got after Brady, and, and it was 
there are we, we've talked about this before like when if you could pressure a quarterback over 40 percent of the time in a game it's like this cutoff of you just you can't run an offense there unless you do superhuman stuff um and that's what happened at times with the Patriots that year. That's what happened with the Giants at times, unless you had that superhuman type of performance. So I think it's just it's more pressure on Mahomes, Tyreek, and Kelsey, and some sort of third receiver to emerge so they can get the ball out of his hands quicker and protect that line. The Giants, though, that year also had a ton of talent on the defensive line. Like that year, right. they had JPP, Justin Tuck, O.C. Umanura, right. uh, Matthias Kiwanuka, Chris Canty, Linval Joseph. These were all on the same defensive line. The Chiefs have Chris Jones. And so there's Frank more. Clark's about to be indicted for with Uzi possession. Like there's they, more. They, who's, those, nobody's doing that for them. Let's, let's do, sometimes we speak so simplistically, which is like, hey, they have Mahomes. Ty- speaking to myself. They have Mahomes, Tyreek, and Kelsey. Therefore, it's, they're, they're a 13-win team no matter what, right? Um, and there's, there's, a, there's an element of truth in that. If, if the O-line overhaul doesn't work, what happens is the rest of the roster becomes highlighted, right? So to your point, yeah. if the 2011 Giants were able to overcome some issues because their defensive line was great or because they, they also had Victor Cruz emerge and, and Hakeem Nix, they had, and, and Mario Manningham, so they had other position groups step up it puts more pressure on the chiefs. So this one stands out because they spent their whole off season seemingly in the trenches on the offensive line, uh, maybe neglected that third receiver, maybe, or or just didn't, they just, they didn't, uh, they just didn't get the guy. Like they didn't get Juju Smith Schuster. They didn't get some of the guys that they were looking at. Um, So yeah, it just puts more pressure on, on everybody else or it changes that offense, right? It becomes, it becomes more of a short passing game. And I give one of the things I think has made the Chiefs so good is when teams have sat back and said, we're not going to let you take the deep ball. Patrick Mahomes has been perfectly fine playing a patient game and throwing the ball underneath. That could be their game. They might have to be a little bit more dink and dunk and less, uh, you know, off the cuff, you know, chucking it down the field. Or maybe they do more of that because Mahomes is running for his life. Um, so either way, it's going to make the offense adjust if that overhaul doesn't work and, and Mahomes is, you know, hypothetically under all the more pressure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's true. Is what it does is highlight um, – it will highlight the deficiencies on this Chiefs roster, which I think are actually kind of multiple, um, which is why I bring up that Texans team. Like, that Texans team was not great, but they had Deshaun Watson – and that was able to paper over a lot of cracks, ultimately until they ran into a team that was a better version of them in the Chiefs. Remember, that was 2019, uh, so, not 20, when they yes. were a playoff team. And, and right. So good. if the Chiefs, like if that, that, the Chiefs could easily become the Texans in that scenario, where they're you know good, they're a playoff team, they have an amazing quarterback, but they get to the postseason and run into a team that doesn't have as many holes as they have. Like maybe this year it's the Buffalo Bills, right? And Kansas City runs into Buffalo, who suddenly have like a much better roster top to bottom. And Mahomes on his own with not on his own, but Mahomes, Kelsey and uh, and Tyreek Hill can't overcome that. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season long game where you draft a team like you normally do. But that is it. No in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performance each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy right now. Deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. So that brings me to my big 
what if? Because if there's if there are teams to knock off the Chiefs, some of the first answers, you might see the, the Tennessee Titans, uh, but you'll have the Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens, your Buffalo Bills that you just mentioned. So my big what if is what if Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen, those three uh, – fourth-year quarterbacks now, fourth-year quarterbacks that are expecting to break the bank. They're the next guys in line for the big payday. What if those guys have mediocre seasons, one or all? What happens then? Where does the decision go for those particular teams? The Browns re-signing Baker to a long-term deal. The Ravens re-signing Lamar Jackson. The Bills re-signing Josh Allen. This could be irrelevant because they're talking right now. There's already talk of right. you know, the, the Lamar deal or the Allen deal, just getting it done before the season. Um, so maybe my big what if, what if one of these guys isn't re-signed and they don't have a great year, what does that do for their future with their respective team? Well, that's the thing because I don't think it becomes irrelevant. It just becomes really interesting if the deal is already done um, because those quarterbacks are now, and the teams, they're now walking this fascinating line between the earlier you get the deal done, the cheaper it is for the team, um, but the more you expose yourself to exactly what you're talking about, which is they, they end up not being the guy that you thought they were, or they take a step back and you're, you're not quite justifying the value. Like the worst case scenario is obviously what happened with Goff and Wentz where the whole thing on spools and you acutely regret the contract you gave them. And both those guys are no longer with the team that gave them that deal. Um, but there's also a world where they're just not, living up to it and you're saddled with this giant contract for a guy who isn't playing as well as you thought he was which was you know Jared Goff last year I guess but to me the only one of those quarterbacks that's actually in danger of not being re-signed or even like it's a factor would be Baker Mayfield I I think Josh Allen and Lamar are getting re-signed pretty much regardless of what happens it would take like a pretty spectacular implosion for those quarterbacks not to get re-upped. The only one whose team, I think, can look at what they have right now and not be sure, not be 100% bought in yet, is the Browns and Baker Mayfield. But And why that's really interesting is because, again, like the, the first guy to get signed is going to be the cheapest deal. So if you're and the he's Browns, been the most consistent of the three. He's had the best yeah, three-year But the highs stretch. haven't been there, right? Compared right, to the other guys. Yes. So, so this was... This was like what I used to say about the class of 2016, right? And this is why ranking quarterbacks and just saying, this guy's one, this guy's two, this guy's three, uh, it, it usually just doesn't stay that way unless you have a guy like a Mahomes. Like if you go back to the 2017 draft class, you'd say Patrick Mahomes has been the best quarterback and then Deshaun Watson and then way down there, Mitch Trubisky, right? Like we know the the one, two, and three is clear as day. But the 2016 class, Remember, that was Jared Goff, that was Dak Prescott, and that was uh, Carson Wentz. All three of those guys have had years where they've been the best quarterback, either by traditional stats or by PFF grade. And they used to, like, rotate. And they've all been first. They've all been third. They've all been second. Um, This group, Baker Baker was the highest-graded quarterback of this trio his rookie season. But to your point, it wasn't as high as what Lamar and Allen did. Uh, Lamar and Allen were legitimate MVPs or MVP candidates. And in Allen's case, he was a candidate. Lamar was the MVP. They dominated in their best seasons. Baker never had the lows maybe that Lamar had as a... Lamar did not grade well as a rookie, even though they won a lot of games and he added value on the ground. And Josh Allen, we've talked about it a million times, graded in the 60s for two years and then broke out to the 90s. 
So in three years, we've seen Baker Mayfield be the highest rated of the trio. Baker, Lamar, Allen. We've seen Lamar be the highest graded quarterback in 2019. We saw Josh Allen last year. So this is very much like that 2016 class where it's not this definitive. After year two, it was like Carson Wentz is the star of this group. He's the guy. And it's like, wait a year. Okay, now Jared Goff is actually the highest graded quarterback and he's taking the Rams to the Super Bowl. And then you wait two years. It's like, wait a second. Now, after the smoke has cleared, Dak Prescott has been the most consistent quarterback over the five years of that particular draft class. There's still more to learn about Baker, Lamar, and Allen. And it is crazy to me that Baker, because he hasn't had the peaks that those guys have had, but he's been, he was good as a rookie, took a step back as a sophomore, was good in his third year. In theory, he should be the safest guy, but I agree with you. He is maybe the most challenging one, and maybe because he doesn't have the trump card that Lamar has as a runner or that Allen has just as a physical freak. But I think that's, it, it's because the the high end is becoming more important, right? I think teams, certainly when you're looking for that second contract and you're about to make a guy the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, I don't think safety is, I mean, it's a factor because you don't want to end up with the Jared Goff or Carson Wentz contract, but... I think that's a secondary concern versus, like, can this guy actually take us to and win a Super Bowl? Um, and right now, I think that's kind of an open question still with Baker. Like, he's been good, and he's played well enough that a juggernaut of a team, which is, you know, arguably what he's sitting on right now, can win with him. But I, there's no evidence yet that he can do what a Mahomes does or what a Tom Brady did, which is, you know, carry a team on his shoulders for a period of time and win a championship. Um, I think you have more confidence that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson can achieve that because of the highs we've seen, the unanimous MVP season for Lamar, the year that Josh Allen just had. So I just think the Browns are in this fascinating spot where they're weighing up, you know, making Baker the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, albeit, you know, for a short period of time if they get it done early, trying to get it done early because that makes the deal as cheap as it could possibly be, and yet waiting because they're not 100% certain that Baker has the high, the ceiling that those other guys have. Um, so I think it's a really in incredibly interesting what if, if they don't re-sign him. Because like Baker was, I mean, he has been. He's been the guy that stopped that jersey, right? The, the million <laughs> names since they came back right. that just, just been going down to the floor. Baker stopped that. And it, he's been the first guy that's essentially stopped the overhaul and the turnover in Cleveland. And for them to look at that and say, yeah, this is this is nice. You know, we're not starting this sequence of guys that have no shot, but it's not good enough. Would be a hell of a statement for the Browns to make in terms of like the direction of this team. All right, yeah. And if there is a regime, you know, we talk about the Browns being pretty analytically sound and the Ravens being analytically sound. If there are teams that might be able to separate themselves from the emotional aspect of the jersey right i mean there's an emotional aspect of the browns jersey 900 starters since tim couch in, in 1999 there's an there's an aspect of well baker he's the first guy that we've actually believed in you of course you have to resign him but we always talk about this is he a top eight quarterback is he a top 10 quarterback is he a guy that you can generally count on year in year out um, and we've always thrown like Matt Ryan and Phillip Rivers in that bucket. So in those guys have had, from a team standpoint, below average seasons before, right? 
Um, so maybe that cutoff needs to be even higher. Maybe it's just give me the top six or seven quarterback, and that guy's going to give you that baseline of success, and everybody else is kind of a crapshoot year in, year out. Because we've seen guys like Derek Carr, who's not a top eight or ten quarterback when he's been re-signed, or Joe Flacco or Matthew Stafford. Those guys are on the outside looking in, and you're just you're working with the lower baseline of quarterback than the best teams in the league. It's just the bottom line. And I don't think we know where Baker, Lamar, and Allen truly are yet. I think we're we're probably one year removed. Just more information, right? We're going to have one more year of information if they're truly a top six, a top five, a top eight quarterback like in that range where they're the guy. Because, again, we've seen Goff, we've seen Wentz already re-signed and moved on from. And yeah. it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, there's an element of, hey, just re-sign the guy, and if you have to flip him at some point, somebody will pay for him. But you still get saddled with the contract. So it's it's a risky proposition if you do pay them too early. And they all are. Um, I think they all get their deals done. But I, I'm with you. If, if any team doesn't do it, it's probably the Browns and Baker Mayfield. Who's who's the most likely of the three to have a mediocre season? I think it's I think it's Allen. <gasps> Don't put me on the spot there. You just I, you have to look at the <laughs> data points. I think you I have to look the at the data, data supports points. that. He had two he's had two below average seasons and one outstanding season. Yeah, but even the breakdown of those seasons is weird. Like that second year is the one where you can look at it in a bunch of different ways. If True. You, look, I, the I last agree. two years, if you combine the last two years, his PFF grade up to 20 yards. So everything short of deep passes is top five in the NFL. It's like 90-plus PFF grade. It's basically just a complete and total inability to hit a deep ball in year two is what screws Josh Allen. Otherwise, you would look at his career and say it's been this nice, neat, step-by-step-by-step progression. And even if you're not anticipating it going up another step in year four, you would say, at the very minimum, like, he's arrived. Like, this is where he's going to be somewhere, plus or minus, last year. You said most likely, and I, and I think it's either Allen or Baker Mayfield. I, I think Lamar, I keep coming back to the, the, the run game component that Lamar adds, even more than Allen, right? Allen's a great runner, but Lamar is like a part of the run game. He is a thousand-yard rusher if they want him to be. Um, so it's either Baker or Allen. Um, I think that is most likely to maybe have that that mediocre type of season. Baker's one one year removed from actually having it. Um, and to your point, Allen's trajectory is at least looking to be the you know in the right in the right area. I think it's uh, Lamar. You think you think it's Lamar? I know that's fine. Lamar had a worse PFF grade last year than Baker, by the way. And this is including like a couple of absolute stinkers that Baker Mayfield had. When you think of what that team looks like now by the Browns, what they've done, like the the roster that now sits behind Baker, the fact that he's having a full offseason within the same offense, a productive offense, a proven offense, Odell Beckham coming back. Like if the Browns weren't the Browns and you were just looking at this team on paper, you would be saying this is a team that can rival Tampa Bay and Kansas City. Like they're a juggernaut. They're a beast. So – I don't – Baker Mayfield should have a career year this year. Should. Now, it doesn't mean it will, but, like, he is he is absolutely primed to have a great year. I Lamar would... Jackson, okay, yes, they've added, you know, uh, Rashad Bateman. They've added Sammy Watkins. They've added some pieces to that passing game. On the other hand, there was, like, some serious stagnation to that offense that last would be, year. 
that would be my argument in favor of Lamar Jackson is when you look at Josh Allen and what the Bills have done to build around him, one of the worst situations in the NFL as a rookie in 2018, we always talk about, they added Cole Beasley, they added John Brown, and then boom, they added Stephon Diggs. And his progression and trajectory did coincide with a better offensive line and a top three group of skill position players on the outside. Lamar, we always talk about, he's the system. They built the system around him. They built it around his rushing ability, which which creates open throws and all that stuff. But if you look at his receiving core, it's been bottom five, even as in, in his MVP season, bottom five caliber receivers. They did have great tight ends with Mark Andrews. They had Boyle. They had uh, Hayden Hurst in that MVP caliber season. But it's still, you know, like a bottom 10 or 12 group of pass catchers in Baltimore. So Lamar and Baker, to your point, they've built the system. They've got a juggernaut now. The Bills, you could argue, have a juggernaut. I don't know that the Ravens have actually built the incredible supporting cast. Offensive line is fine. The running backs are fine. They have not had the outside playmakers that these other couple quarterbacks have had. And I think that's almost in favor of Lamar. He had an MVP caliber season without great receivers on the outside. And that's why I think he might be, you know, the highest floor of the group right now. But I'm just not sure they've done enough to put around him. That, And when you consider that that offense, the offensive problems there, I think probably went beyond just, you know, hey, there's no Julio Jones in this offense. The idea that that offense has stagnated, that it hasn't shown, you know, the, the, the continuous evolution that we want to see from um, units, either on offense or defense, like it has been to an extent figured out by NFL teams. Like Lamar Jackson will always be a cheat code and a trump card and an absolute nightmare to defend, but he's less of a nightmare right now than he was when you hadn't seen him before for any extended period of time. Like defenses are better now at knowing how you want to defend Lamar Jackson. So unless that offense as a unit can show significant development this year and pose defenses more problems like I don't see the pathway for Lamar jumping back from last year to MVP Lamar again whereas I see a pathway for Baker just being automatically better than he was last year yeah I get it and look I this is a, this isn't to take away from what the Ravens have done building around Lamar I think they've done a really good job but again in that one particular area when you talk about who he, who Lamar is throwing to what if he did have Josh Allen's receivers or or the Browns receivers we could be seeing a different story there uh, let's do one more what if each, and we'll wrap it up. What you got? What if somebody puts together an all-time great defense? You know, we're we're so focused on the quarterbacks. We're so focused on offense, on what all these teams can do. But what if somebody puts together, you know, the, the Legion of Boom or that Denver defense that was so incredible or just another one of these all-time great defenses where you look at it and you're saying this unit is the reason this team is in the Super Bowl. They're the reason – that they are dominating every offense they come up against um, and they can elevate the level of, you know, mediocre quarterback play. You know, the the last vestiges of Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl when there wasn't any real discernible difference that year between Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler at quarterback. Like that is <laughs> the power of a great defense if you really hit on it. It's just, it's like, it's such a small, it's such a difficult thing to do because you need to get at least like, 12 to 15 guys together for you to even assemble that kind of unit and there's a there's a handful of them that we can think of from the last decade right like how many of those all-time great defenses truly existed right not many not many at all so if that does happen 
uh, you know, the, the times that we have seen it, it, you mentioned the 2015 Broncos, they go and win the Super Bowl. The 2013 Seahawks win the Super Bowl, beat Peyton and his great offense that particular year in 2013. Uh, the Super Bowl Giants weren't really that team. They just kind of got hot and uh, rushed the passer extremely well on their couple playoff runs. Defense does matter. The, the act of playing good defense does matter. It's the the problem is predicting it. So it's it's a challenge to predict who it could be. Any idea who could actually do this or do the Rams from last year? Like the Rams last year were so good because all of a sudden they had the best defense in the NFL. That was unexpected. And that's why they overcame, you know, the offense that hasn't really been clicking over the last couple of years. The only I mean, obviously, it's the, these they don't tend to come out of the blue, but they tend to be outliers compared with what you thought they would be. You know, even these right. great defenses like the Broncos and the, the Seahawks, like they were good and then they became like absurdly good, great for like one year. And then it kind of regressed or it stepped back a little bit. So it, it tends to be a little bit um, unexpected when it happens. The team that I think has a shot at it if things break their way would be Washington. Like that defensive front is already pretty badass than just the, like the list of first round picks they have on it. Almost all of whom have worked out. Like these aren't, there are teams out there. Like didn't the Falcons grab a whole bunch of first rounders and they weren't particularly good. They just they were getting they like were the retread first rounders. This yeah, is yeah. They were former first, first rounders, rounders, which isn't yeah. quite the same thing, but the Washington football team um, have actually assembled like a bunch of first rounders that are all of their own and have worked well so far. Uh, but they've also added some players on the back end as well. Like J- William Jackson coming in has the potential to be better than anybody they had there last year. Um, Cameron Curl was already really good. Landon Collins hasn't really played the way he had earlier in his career, but he's still pretty young. Uh, obviously, they added the great David Mayo, so things are looking up. But <laughs> like this is a team that has the bodies. They've got the horses to be a really, really good defense. What if it's the Denver Broncos again? Ooh. What if... A- what if it was, you know, Von Miller is coming back, uh, Bradley Chubb's coming back, you know, two guys who have been on and off the field the last couple of years. You've got those pass rushers that maybe people have forgotten about. Uh, Justin Simmons has been the best safety in the league over the last couple of years. Kareem Jackson has been really good. And we've talked a lot about, you know, they were the darlings of our defensive team building offseason, right? Get to four deep at corner. Well, they've got Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, the great Bryce Callahan, and then they drafted Patrick Sertan at number nine overall. Legit four deep at cornerback with Vic Fangio. You yeah. know, the guy who has constructed the 2-4-6 defense, right? We're going to play too high quite a bit. We'll rotate the safeties, but we're going to keep everything in front of us and not allow big plays. The Broncos might have the elements there, but again, it, it's their success will still come back down to what happens at quarterback with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, but that defense can play. Right. They're the one team where you look at it and you say, okay, even if they had that defense, <laughs> they can't win. <laughs> you know, Washington, like you can, if, if Washington's defense ends up being one of those Seahawks, Broncos, great defenses of all time, you're like, all right, I, I could talk myself into Ryan Fitzpatrick winning a Super Bowl at the head of that kind of juggernaut. I, I don't think I can even talk myself into Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> or Drew Locke doing that. Like if, if that def- if the Broncos' defense ends up being as good as the one that won Peyton Manning his second Super Bowl, I don't think I can even talk myself into Drew Locke not screwing it up. Yeah, I mean, to that point, 
Peyton did try to screw it up a little bit in the Super Bowl, but he was solid in those first couple games, if I remember, on the run. The Super Bowl wasn't great against the Panthers, but yeah, you could you could generally trust Peyton to just make enough good decisions. And uh, yeah, I don't know if Drew Locke is is there yet. It's also going to be tough for the Broncos to have an all time great defense in that division. They have to play the Chiefs. That's they have true. to play the Raiders, who have been a really good offense, and then the Chargers with with Justin Herbert there. So um, it'll be a challenge just against who they play against. Uh, but I kind of want to see them have a great defense just because of all those matchups that we talked about. That we got to, people were sick of Rams Seahawks last year. I was not. I was ready for round four. Let me yeah. see a great Rams defense go up against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks and just see if they could figure it out. And the Seahawks never really figured it out. Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl with a stat line that looks... You remember that Super Bowl where everybody was ridiculing Big Ben for winning yeah. Super Bowl MVP against the Seahawks because it was such a joke? Uh, Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl completing 13 of 23 attempts for 141 yards with uh, no touchdowns, one pick, 6.1 yards per attempt, a PFF grade of 45. Uh, he have two turnover-worthy plays favorite. or three? He had a couple he tried to throw away. He tried to throw three. the game away. Three turnover-worthy yeah. plays. Here's my favorite stat, though. He had, you know what his average time to throw was? Like 1.9 or something? 2.1 seconds. That dude <laughs> was just trying to get rid of it as soon as humanly possible. Save my still, life. And yeah. still at a grade of 45 with three turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, it was ugly for uh, Peyton in his last game. But that's, yeah, like, Broncos- that's genuinely one of the worst games Peyton Manning has ever played, and it got him a second Super Bowl ring. And that D was incredible that season. Yeah, if they do it, some... So the bottom line is if somebody puts together an all-time great defense, you know, some team is making a playoff run or, or, you know, in the playoffs that maybe shouldn't have been. Or if it happens to be attached to, say, the Browns or the Bucs or the Chiefs for some reason, then it's like, all right, these te- this team might never lose because, you know, they've got, you know, they're good everywhere else or they're good offensively. So that's your that's your what if. Um, let, me, let me wrap it up with this. What if the Steelers' offensive line is good and oh. and we just you know, we're, we're coming out with our re-rankings we're, we're just pushing out the the rankings once again little adjustments here and there and there's two teams that are going to be adjusted in our offensive line rankings one is the jets because they signed morgan moses and they upgraded from a below average tackle at george fans upgrading to morgan moses above average tackle great move. the steelers go from david de castro the guy yeah. that i was going to say is like the one guy you can kind of count on as a starter with the steelers who's now released slash retired and replacing him with Trey Turner, who's coming off a career low 32.4 grade last year. The Steelers legitimately have five question marks up front. But what if they all come together, Sam? What if it all works out? What if they're just geniuses in evaluating their offensive linemen in this year? The Steelers' offensive line is good. And one of the things that we think is one of their biggest weaknesses actually becomes at least average. What can the Steelers do? Can we just, as a slight aside, ask just... (laughs) What the hell happened to Trey Turner? That guy's only 28, and it feels like he's like 45 years old and just in the pits of like the worst decline in history. His best season, 2015, was that Panthers year that they went to the Super Bowl. And that was his second year. So he went from like pretty good as a rookie to very good in year two as everything on the Panthers was clicking and then has basically steadily gone downhill since with multiple different teams now. And last year was an absolute disaster. What has happened to that guy? Do you, is there just something about playing for the Chargers, though? He went one year to play with the Chargers and had a 30. It, he was on the decline anyway. He, his grade yes. has declined in each of the last four years, but last year was a, was a train wreck. 
It was, and I'm sure that, like being in the Chargers was a part of that. But as you said, his it was already headed in that direction. Like for a guy of his age, him and him and Gabe Jackson. Like Gabe Jackson hasn't gone fallen as hard, but those guys were both at their best. Like almost immediately in the NFL, they've had like running back careers. You know, where their best season was like rookie year and year two, and then as soon as they reached like mid twenties, they just started a painful decline. And now you're, you know. Well, you don't want that guy starting for you, at least yeah, in Trey they, Turner's. They were both like really good, young, up and like they were they were guys you expected to be top ten caliber guards early. You know, if you have PFF premium stats, just go check it out. Like th- throw their career in reverse, and it makes more sense. We say that a yes. lot about um, you know various people like Carson Wentz sometimes, but that's what it looks like for for Trey Turner. So, okay, what if so it all does? On. What if he gets back though? So left to right. The Steelers' offensive line on paper right now is Chukwuma Okorafor at left tackle, yep. Kevin Dotson at left guard, uh, Kendrick Green, let's give him the start at center because, you know, they drafted him, so that's probably going to happen. Trey Turner at right guard, and then Zach Banner at right tackle. Um, the only one of those guys that has any kind of, like, positive grading in his history is Kevin Dotson last year based off, like, 300-and-something snaps, Right. And it was mostly pass blocking. He only allowed one pressure yeah. last year in his limited time. And like everybody on the Steelers offensive line, even DeCastro. I mean, DeCastro had his career low grade last year, but they were all uh, poor from a run blocking standpoint. And yeah. Zach Banner has been solid in very limited time. He's bounced around the league a little bit. He's been He's been solid in very limited time. And chiefly as like a sixth offensive lineman. You know, Correct. They would bring him in as like the jumbo tight end. Big thing. dude who can lean on some people in the run game. and yeah, Was supposed that's... to start last year, but got injured and didn't. Right. And then they've basically just like given him the mulligan and said, well, we thought you were going to start and be good last year. So let's assume that happened and give you a contract to do it again. Which is, I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you pose the what if, like what if they're just geniuses at evaluating? Like that would, <laughs> that's that's a hell of a process. Whether it works out or not, you know, to just be like, well, we assumed you were going to start and be good last year, so let's just pretend it happened and give you the contract to do it again. Is, this, so mean, this <laughs> does feel like the Jets of last year, where everybody that they brought in, it's yeah. like, it is a big what if, right? It's, it's, it's not like the Chiefs. Like Orlando Brown has had three really good NFL seasons. Joe Tooney has become one of the best guards in the NFL, and the Chiefs signed those guys. The Jets got a whole bunch of guys who either weren't good or were only good for like a year. And you could say, well, if these five things happen, the Jets will be okay. And of course they didn't all happen. Yeah. It, it feels like a process rooted in optimism more than realism, which is always a dangerous way to go in the NFL, particularly when you're talking about an offensive line. And even more so when you're talking about replacing an entire offensive line, like right. in an off season. But the optimistic view would be a core for, Year three-ish breakout type of guy. Zach Banner's kind of been, he's he's played longer than three years, but he's got the snaps of a you know one year player essentially. So you 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 hope for development there. Trey Turner right, so- turns back the clock to 2015. <laughs> Kevin Dotson builds upon his promise, and Kendrick Green he had the highest percentage of positively graded run blocks in the entire draft among interior offensive linemen. He could be a great run blocker. He just he he whiffs a lot too. He's kind of like that volatile. J.R. Sweezy type of guard that we always talk about internally here at PFF. And Green's trying to maybe move to center. Um, but I could see the positive in all those guys. But again, it's just it's just risky. So we did this in reverse for the Chiefs offensive line. But give, where so optimistically, all those guys work out to varying degrees. Put that together and give me where they rank. Like, where does this 
the Steelers offensive line end up in an optimistic viewpoint of all these guys working out? I, I think even optimistically that brings them up to like 15th. I mean, because we're talking a core of four has, has started and been below average. Banner has not really started extensively. Trey Turner is four years removed from his best work. But even if he reverts back to like a 65 grade type of guy, you know, to me, that's that the best case scenario is a few guys in, are in that 65 to 75 range. And if five guys do that, that's like your offensive line, 10 to 15, maybe at best. Isn't that what that well, is? I mean, I guess the what if there is that's good enough for them to achieve what they need to achieve if the other things work, right? So that if this offensive line optimistically works out, even if that isn't great, that makes the offensive line at least give you the platform for a solid enough for like Najee Harris won't be wasted because the offensive line is so bad that Najee Harris literally can't impact the offense. It's also good enough for Roethlisberger to actually change his style of play from last year where he had, you know, one of the lowest average depths of target in the NFL and wasn't pushing the ball deep downfield and all those kinds of things. He can do that next year. Now, it doesn't mean he will, but it means he can. Like right now you're looking. Yes. It gives them the opportunity to allow Chase Claypool to maybe become the star that he teased last year for Deontay Johnson to become that high volume receiver for Juju to have a, a big, another contract year, but have a big contract year and to, yeah, throw the ball down the field more. That's the biggest thing that the Steelers need to be able to do. Right. Like Tua Tagovailoa's biggest problem as a rookie was a complete absence of like aggression and big throws down the field. Tua's average depth of target was half a yard higher than Roethlisberger's. That's how yeah. absent of big plays Roethlisberger was, right? So it, one thing that has to change for Pittsburgh to be a contender this year is Roethlisberger becoming more aggressive even if it causes more turnovers and more big plays going the other way like they have they don't have a shot if he's going to try and dink and dunk this whole thing all the way to a Super Bowl that's never going to happen he's not good enough right now to achieve that so he has to be more aggressive and just play the volatility game and hope you hit the high side of variance um he can't do that if the offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL which it could be right that offensive line on paper is not a good a good unit right now but if it hits the high side of what it's capable of and it's middle of the pack it's good enough for him to do that it it won't always be pretty and there'll be some problems in there but he it become the onus shifts back to Roethlisberger which I think is a better thing than the onus being on the offensive line it gives the Steelers a chance and I, I think that is yeah that's all you can ask for is if they could creep back toward average somehow what if? What if they can? I mean, that would that, that would be it, right? The high side of this is the what if of if the Steelers' offensive line is better than people expect it to be, and the optimistic out- outlook of this group hits. What they have achieved is crept cre- back toward average. They have right. thrown a lot of resources. They've changed a lot of players and successfully crept back toward average, which, as we've been preaching for years now, is all you need to do on the offensive line assuming the other things are capable of doing what they need to do. So that is your what if. If if the Steelers' offensive line successfully creeps back toward average, now every other part of that offense that needs to be good gets a chance to try that. And if it doesn't, if it's not good, we go into next offseason with the Steelers likely looking for another quarterback, still needing to figure out four or five starters on the offensive line, and probably needing a complete overhaul 
uh, in their cornerback room because Joe Hayden's getting a little bit older. Who knows who their second cornerback is even this year? It's James Pierre and Justin Lane and Cameron Sutton as their two slash three. So they go into next offseason with huge question marks at the same valuable positions plus quarterback. So big gear for the Steelers. But uh, if the offensive line's good, at least gives them a chance. We have Bobby Wagner coming up now. Is it Bobby Wagner probably time? Not. No, probably not. No, the podcast is going to end within the next minute, and it's probably Here's the not. thing, though. Like, when we thought Bobby Wagner was going to show up, he didn't. So maybe if we think he won't show up, that's when Bobby will, will be here. <laughs> Do we just have, like, the cameras recording at all times just in case he calls and we're ready to go? Yeah, just leave the studio running? Yes. Can we uh, – have we tried to reschedule him at all? Uh, yeah, but I think the last time we left it, it was like Bobby can't show up until, like, the 27th or something. So, All right, we got – like we get eight more time days. period. There was yeah, oh, there right. was a time period last time um during which Bobby would definitely not be here. I'll be ready. I'll be ready for when Bobby's here. Um anyway, you guys should be ready for the save 40 sale, 40% off all PFF subscriptions if you are a first time subscriber. Check it out over at pff.com. Lots of exciting stuff happening. Have we announced cousin Doug? We've got I don't think it's he's announced it on Twitter. Did he announce PFF officially? Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. I saw you left Nesson. Um, I did say he needed to, you know, another NWO reference. I did want him to rip off the Nesson shirt and maybe like spray paint PFF over it or something. But yeah, we never got like, I don't think he did that. Um, but yeah, we've got, a, we've got a whole new group of people uh, joining the team here. It's really exciting here at PFF. Yeah, cool. I, the expansion going on at PFF is madness right now. It's crazy. We've got people coming in all over the place, uh, various divisions within the company. There are divisions within the company. Like, that's that's how big we're getting. You know, there's a it's good, yeah. there's various different departments. Remember when it was just like five of us rocking this whole thing together? Right. Now there's, you know, actual divisions within the company. We were all, all the divisions. All are in expanding. One. <laughs> we used to be all the divisions. So, yeah, it's exciting. So keep an eye on, you know, Doug and Ari and some of the other... Uh, people that are going to be joining here from a um, breaking news standpoint, new like the news division here at PFF. We just have a lot going on. We'll have uh, we'll have more of our PFF friends on the podcast, like you had with Seth. I think that was a great discussion and uh, one of the things we're thinking about doing for the season yeah. in a uh, think, third podcast. Right. I, I think we're going to be running three podcasts this year during the season. We'll have our preview show, our review show, as usual, and then the one. That's going to have a slightly different flavor will be whatever our third show is, our, likely a midweek show um, that might feature, you know, other PFF people coming on. And like Seth, interesting conversations like that. We also need your emails and your interesting nuggets and questions and data points and stories. Somebody here dropped us a story uh, about like another player. What was that? Oh, a Shaq Mason anecdote. We've got people all over the place that have like, you know, gone to school with or grown up with all these different um players we obviously had the jason kelsey one a while ago there's a chris collinsworth anecdote that's never going to make the air as well (laughs) yes uh the kelsey by the way which might now actually be pronounced kels did you see that yeah i saw that is that just travis saying that is that for him and jason well surely if it's travis like it has to be applicable (laughs) to both right it can't be travis kels and jason kelsey that doesn't make any sense could be anyway this guy uh what's his name paul houston sent us in an email he went to high school with Shaq Mason. Um, and apparently this guy, you know, obviously Shaq Mason destined for the NFL. This guy very much wasn't from the sounds of it. And, you know, didn't really didn't really have it. a whole lot of interest in, in making it to the NFL. But was a defensive lineman 
eventually uh, they had some injuries or something, starting left tackle, get injured, and coach sends this dude in. And he's like, coach, I, I don't know any of the plays. I only practice defense. I don't know how to play left tackle. And Shaq Mason was like, just go in and try your best. It's not about knowing the plays. It's about hitting somebody in the mouth. Uh, and this dude was like, no, I mean, I'm not going in. I don't know how to play left tackle. It's just I'm not doing it. Apparently Shaq just <laughs> shakes his head and walks off. And he was like, that's the difference between a dude destined for the NFL and me destined not for the NFL. Just go uh, hit anyways, somebody hard, man. That's all you got to yeah. do. Send us emails. We like these things. We'll read them out if they're good. We will send people some free stuff in terms of PFF subscriptions if we really love them. Uh, NFL podcast, singular, at pff.com is how you get to us. And uh, the one last housekeeping item, PFF NFL Daily is coming back in one week. It'll be July 26th. We'll be back with the PFF NFL Daily, so be sure to subscribe to that as well. And uh, you'll be getting us every single day for about 10 to 12 minutes talking about the hottest topics around the NFL. So PFF NFL Daily, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again Thursday for more great NFL discussions. Sam.